0: So, today is not only Super Bowl Sunday, it is also World Mission Sunday. I didn't have a good joke to tie those two together, but if you have one, you can let me know after the service. Um, But World Mission Sunday falls on the last Sunday of Epiphany. Epiphany is the church season that we're in that follows Christmas, and it focuses on Jesus' identity being revealed to the world. And so it kind of makes sense, Jesus is born, and now we see who this Jesus is. And with that emphasis of epiphany, it makes sense that at the, the very end of it, or towards the end of it, we have an emphasis on world missions or on, 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 on missions, We probably have lots of questions that we have for Jesus. There are lots of things that we want to know. Just like in the reading in Acts 1, the disciples had their questions, but Jesus redirected them and said, No, I don't want you to worry about that right now. What I want you to focus on is how you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. And that is what we get to uh, reflect on Today, this is a liturgical way of Jesus' saying, I want y'all to take a time to think about what it means to be on mission. Now, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you've probably heard this word mission. It comes from the Latin word, which means sent. And in that sense, this is a beautiful thing about Christianity. We are all missionaries As Christians, we are all sent by God as spirit-empowered agents for renewal in the world around us. There is no bench. We are all on the field. We are all sent out. And we pray this much every single week. When in the post-communion prayer, we say, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. Do you hear that sending language, the being sent out, the witness language of Jesus that we heard in Acts? And so the question that we have this morning is, where is God sending us, and what does it mean to be sent? And for many, that could sound intimidating. So today, I want us to look at the example of Jesus as we consider what does it look like for us to live as missionaries in the context that we're in, in the fields that God has called us to? And if you're with us this morning and you're unsure about who Jesus is, one, I'm so glad you're here. You are are welcome. But you, you might be thinking, gosh, this isn't for me. This is inside baseball for Christians that doesn't concern itself for me. And if that's you this morning, what I would invite you to do is instead of thinking about what does it mean for me to live as a missionary, to to, to think about how has Jesus been sent after me? What does his love for me look like? So as we look at how Jesus models living as a sent one, as we go through this passage, we're going to start from the end result and work our way back. Backwards, So we're going to start with, what does it mean to live on mission? How do we do it? And then how can we do it? So if you open up your pew Bible to page 968, you'll see Matthew chapter 9, the gospel passage that we read this morning just a bit ago. And this passage is a summary statement. Summary statements occur in parts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke when the narrative shifts from one geographic place to another or when it shifts from one theme or idea to another. And they, they capture the in-between. If you think of like a story about Jesus that you really know and love, it's a concrete specific thing that happened on one part of one day in the life of Jesus. But in these summary statements, we get a picture of what did the everyday life of Jesus look like. It it summarizes his routines. And how interesting is it that in this mundane life of Jesus that we see in this summary statement, we see a life that is lived on mission, in word and deed. Being on mission was not something that Jesus only did on mission trips. It was not something that he only did at planned evangelistic events. It was such a part of his life on earth that when the gospel writers summarized what his everyday was like, they captured him being on, on mission. And here's what, at least for me, is a helpful way of thinking about it living on mission is not a what, it's not. a specific thing that we do, it's a how. It's how we do things. It's not a verb, it's not a discrete action that we do occasionally. It's an adverb that colors all of our doings. It's how we go about our lives. And that's exactly what we see in this text. If you look at verse 35, it said Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages. That was the verb he did, that was the action. And then we get these other things. We have these ing words. These, if you're into grammar, they're participles that explain like how exactly Jesus did this. And we see that the how was he, he went through teaching and proclaiming and healing. That the verb that Jesus did is the going through, but how he did it was that the teaching, the proclaiming, and the, the, and the healing. And there's a a quick note I want us to see on these three phrases here that show us how Jesus went about on mission to help us make it more concrete for us. Did you see what kinds of things were included there? Two of the ing words reference things that Jesus said and one references what Jesus did. Jesus proclaims the good news, but he also embodies it. He goes about on mission in word and deed. And if we think about what it looks like for us to be people sent by Jesus out into the world to bring his hope, to bring his renewal to the cosmos and to everyone around us, we have to keep these things always together, word and deed and we can know that intuitively, right? It's, it's not enough just to talk about others what Jesus is like if we live like devils. No one's going to care. And, and it's not enough to speak with our lips if we don't speak with our lives. This is especially important because I suspect that if you ask most non-Christians, they would probably tell you that Christians aren't really that different from anyone else in our culture here in the US. We still seek the same kinds of stuff in terms of money and success and the perfect family and stuff like that, but we just do it in a slightly different way. And the more cynical folks might say with a little bit of judgment and self-righteousness thrown in as well. And so it's really important that as we are on mission that Jesus isn't just something that we talk about, that we embody it in our lives, how people can see the hope of Jesus as we go about our world and interact with others. And in response to to, to this tendency, you might have heard people share a quote that goes like this. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. And to make it sound authoritative, they attribute it to St. Francis of Assisi, a great... Saints of the Middle Ages. And this quote gets at a real issue. We cannot credibly talk the talk without walking the walk. But in one respect, it is utterly wrong-headed because it assumes that words are a luxury and not a necessity. For one, St. Francis, whom this quote gets attributed to, went around publicly preaching the gospel everywhere he went. And so if you look at his own life, it doesn't add up. But more importantly, it doesn't match what Jesus did. As Christians, Jesus is always our model. And did he communicate the good news using only actions? No, he was not a divine mime. His ministry was not a three-year-long game of charades. He did things that pointed to, that embodied the goodness of God. And he also used words to explain, this is God come down to rescue us, to bring us into the fullness of life and joy of love that we all want. Instead of going our own ways after things that can never satisfy like we think that they will. He, he spoke to the kingdom, to, to the gospel, to hope with words and deeds. And so if we're going to follow him, then yes, we absolutely have to embody it in our lives. But there will also be times when we need to use words as well. And so which way do you lean? For, for a lot of us, we, we tend to prefer to use words or prefer to use our actions. Perhaps this week you can ask God to show you ways that you can either speak to or embody the hope of Christ in your life. And if you are still trying to figure Jesus out, just look at what he's like. He's not someone who just gives you empty words. He backs them up. He doesn't just talk about the goodness of God. He shows you what it's like in his actions. All right, so if we ask, what is living on mission? we've found out that it's more of a how. It's how we go about everything else in in our lives that in word and deed communicate the hope of Christ. And so if living on mission is more of a matter of how we do things than what we do, you might say it's kind of like a perspective. It's a way in which we see ourselves and the world around us. So the question becomes, how do we get that perspective. And in this passage, we see a glimpse into how Jesus cultivates this perspective, how he builds this habit of his heart to live like this. So we see in verse 36, it begins, when he saw the crowds, and we can just stop there. Jesus saw people. How often do you really see people in your life In order to love others in word and deed, we must see and know whom we're loving. We can't love abstract concepts. We have to love the people as they are, as they are before us. And if we're going to do this well, it requires curiosity. It's going to mean asking lots of questions, asking lots of good questions. Jesus asks questions all of the time, and one of his favorite, most common ones that he would ask is some variation of this. What do you want? It's a question that I know I often am very scared to to answer because it reveals a lot. Think of the people in your life. How well are you in touch with what they want? What are their desires and their dreams? Seeing people like Jesus sees them means really trying to understand where others are, where they're coming from, what are their hopes, their fears, their hurts. It means spending time with people and entering into their world. After all, that's what Jesus has done with us. And if, if we do this, if we do enter into someone else's world, we'll inevitably find the ways in which they feel helpless or harassed. It continues in verse 36. Sees the crowds. He has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the true state of people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this language, it echoes... If you want to go read Jeremiah chapter 23 or Ezekiel chapter 34. And those chapters rail against the wicked shepherds who are supposed to care for people but are derelict in their duty and instead use the sheep, leaving them to be exploited and abandoned for their own purposes. So when Jesus says this, it's in part an indictment of the Jewish leaders of his day as he sees that these people need a good shepherd to guard them, to care for them, and to lead them. But it's an indictment of p- pretty much any culture. Because what Jesus speaks to reflects what happens what, wherever people are when we don't have God as our shepherd. We get there in a different way, but our world today is much the same. It is hard to be human in our culture, and most everyone, Christians included, feel in some way harassed and helpless by the pressures of our culture, not to mention the individual circumstances of our lives that, that, that are specific to each and every one of us. And while that could be a whole sermon in and of itself, for now I'm going to skim the surface of that with a quote from a pastor named Greg Thompson He gave a phenomenal talk on hospitality that I would encourage anyone to go listen to. And at one point in that talk, he put the the helplessness of our culture, he articulated it like this. This quote is kind of long, so bear with me. He said, the chief definition of our secular age is not militant coherence, but homelessness. Homelessness. Our friends have no place to anchor their identities and no place to lay their heads. And because of this, they are laying them in all kinds of terribly destructive places. We live in the most existentially homeless culture in history. And until we really recognize the plight of our neighbors and stop fearing them, but instead recognize that they are sad and that they are confused and that they are afraid of us, and that they don't know what to do, until we do those things, we can never love them. So despite the pristine pictures on Instagram or the cute Christmas cards that you received a couple months ago or a polished profile on on LinkedIn, our culture is one where lots of people, even though we like to ignore it, feel a sense of existential homelessness. Another author put it like this. We live in an age of a chronic identity crisis. And that is why when Jesus sees us, when Jesus sees the people in your life today, he has compassion. The Greek word for compassion comes from a word that means bowels or guts. Jesus feels so strongly that he's sick to his stomach. He viscerally yearns for the people who feel helpless and harassed to find their refuge in him. He viscerally yearns for people who feel homeless to find their home in him because he is so saddened when he sees people harassed and helpless. And this is the key because as long as we feel that being on mission for God is some duty or obligation that we have, we're always going to feel guilty and ashamed about if we're doing it right or if we're doing it enough. But what it's really about is about having the heart of God. Being on mission is about having our hearts break for the thing that break God's heart. And so as you're trying to figure out what it looks like for you to live on mission, how you could cultivate this perspective, the question I have is, how do we feel when we see the people? Whoop. How do we share in Christ's heart? And if you're trying to figure out like who Jesus is, what's it like to see him seeing you? What's it like to feel him feeling compassionate for you in those places where you feel harassed and helpless? We cultivate our perspective of living on mission as we see and have compassion for the people around us. Finally, how can we do this? After we see Jesus' emotions, we see the result of his emotions. Jesus always does something with his feelings. His emotions always lead to action. So what does he do? He pulls his disciples aside and he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And at first, this might seem kind of flippant. Jesus was just so deeply moved by the pain of these people and now he's referring to these harassed ones as crops to be harvested? Is he just not seeing them? Is he just using them? I, I don't think so. If, if crops are left unharvested, what happens? They fall to the ground and they rot. They go to waste. In our body, pain serves to awaken us to the reality that something is wrong so that we can go get the help and healing that we need. Jesus is saying, I don't want the pain of these people to be wasted. As they feel their pain, I want them to see the healing and hope that I'm offering them. That's what he's saying here. He's not trying to trivialize their pain. He's trying to help us see the urgency of responding to the people around us. So he's not trivializing their pain. He's trying to tend to it and invite us to send us out in the cause but if we truly see the people around us and if we have compassion for them, it won't take long until we feel overwhelmed. Even if there's only one person in our life, it's so easy to feel overwhelmed by the depth of the suffering of one human soul and our powerlessness to bring real healing to the wounds of their heart. And so it won't take long until we we feel like whatever it means to live on mission requires far more than what we have to offer. And so that's why Jesus asks us to pray to the Lord of the harvest for help. We might need other people to come alongside us. That's what he encourages us to pray for here. But it might be, more than that we might think man I don't know how to love people in word and deed I struggle with that I don't know what it looks like in my life we might think I don't have compassion on people in my life and quite frankly I don't want to see people because that takes work and that takes effort and so we get overwhelmed and so Jesus tells us to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. And one thing that that we see here is if you keep on, on reading, God himself is the Lord of the harvest. And right after Jesus prays this prayer, he sends out the disciples to go out and be people who see the hurting around them, to have compassion and to bring the hope of the gospel in word and deed. This prayer that he just prays, that he just encourages his disciples to to pray, he in some ways answers in the very next chapter. As we come to God, as we feel overwhelmed with these things, as we feel overwhelmed with the scope of the harvest, we must remember that we're praying to the, the Lord of the harvest. He can give us what we need and we don't depend upon our own strength. That's why in Acts 1, Jesus said, you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm not having you do this all on your own. And so let's pray and ask God to help us see how Christ sees us. Because the the secret here, if, if we're going to do this with any faithfulness or with any humility... We have to remember the ways in which we also are harassed and helpless. In Ephesians 2, right after Paul says that God has prepared the church in Ephesus for good works to be sent on mission, he says, therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope in the world, having no hope without God in the world. He's saying, remember, as you go out to do this work that God has prepared for you, remember what it felt like when you were harassed, when you were helpless. Remember that. And so if we're going to be sent out, we have to remember how Jesus has seen us. We have to see how Jesus has seen us. We ourselves have to feel the ways in which he has felt compassion for us. And we have to experience in our bones, we have to remember how Christ loved us in word and deed, not only proclaiming to us the good news, but embodying it. How he brought renewal to our lives, by himself becoming helpless and harassed, by being the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you have given us this great honor, Lord, to uh, be workers in your vineyard, to be laborers in your kingdom. Lord, that you've given us that dignity. You don't need us but you call us nonetheless to serve in the places that you have sent us. And so God, I ask that for each of us here by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that that you would open our eyes to see the ways that you see us in those places in our lives where we feel harassed and helpless. Lord, that you would give us a heart to feel the way that you feel compassion for us in those places. And Lord, that you would enlighten our minds, Lord, to remember how you gave of yourself in word and in deed. Lord, and may that color how we go about everything that we do. Teach us, Lord, by your spirit to love one another in word and deed. Amen.